Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Fuji Love Podcast. This is the show that is all about the Fujifilm X-Series, GFX cameras, and the photographers that love to use them. And of course, this show is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm, X-Series, and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. There you're going to find a ton of great articles, amazing photography, and it's just a pleasure to read and just look at the pictures. It's as simple as that. Head on over to fujilove.com and subscribe today. My guest this week is Brandon Ruffin. He is a photographer out in the West Coast area, in the Oakland area, and he is an official ex-photographer. But more than that, he is just an amazing artist, and I recommend everybody check out his work on Instagram or check out his website. It's just brilliant to follow, and I had an amazing conversation. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Without further ado, I want to bring on Brandon Ruffin to the show. Brandon is a phenomenal Fujifilm ex-photographer. I would say, what would be the best moniker to describe your style of photography? Like, what would you label yourself as? And welcome to the show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, thank you for having me. It's really an honor to be here. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess if I had to label myself, I... You know, just a photographer, but but I think my style and the work that I've been putting out in the last last few years, I think people really know me for street uh, street portraiture. Yeah, and before we begin, I want everybody to check out your work so that as they listen to the show, they can follow along with uh, looking at your website or your Instagram. Uh, where can people find you on the web? Uh, so I'm on uh, Instagram as rough draft r-u-f-f-d-r-a-f-t and then my website uh is is www.roughdraftvisuals.com and you know i'm on twitter uh i I post on there sometimes and uh you know i rarely but uh, uh, you know every now and then i post on my on my facebook um, page as well you use Twitter and Facebook as uh, much as I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I definitely use Twitter uh, for for posting work way more than I post on my on my Facebook. I probably should post more on the Facebook, but uh, Twitter, you know, gives me a little bit more freedom as far as what I want to post. Where I feel like my Instagram, I think, like most Instagram folks, are like there's a a level of curation that yeah. that that's happening especially with the grid format um and so twitter i just really anything i feel like feel like posting like any type of photography i feel like posting i'll just, I'll just throw it up on twitter nice and by the way coolest uh coolest names ever for the website name and the the instagram moniker that's uh <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> thank you thank you the old uh, the old graffiti moniker doesn't die yeah. very easy. <laughs> so we were, I mean, we had a great conversation prior to the show, uh, recording the show. And, uh, you had mentioned that you started off as a Fujifilm X creator, but by the end of 2020, uh, you were, you got the official, uh, Fujifilm X photographer title. Uh, how did that all go? How did, how did you start 
with uh, Fujifilm as a creator and how did that progress into being cho- uh, chosen as an ex-photographer? Uh, that's a good question. You know, it was interesting because um, there was probably, I mean, I would say one of the largest uh, and my favorite uh, photography essential uh, stores here in the Bay Area is uh, Looking Glass in Berkeley, yeah. right? And so uh, I had developed a relationship with them through um, a company called Ana Bags, right? They they had connected me. So I've been shopping at this place for years and they had reached out to the owner of the shop and they wanted to do um, like an Insta meetup or sort of a workshop walk around the neighborhood. And, and so they had suggested that looking glass reach out to me um, because I had worked with them before I had done something similar in Harlem, like a year before that. And then, um, so they were familiar with me and I had at the time had a relationship with them. And so then from there, I had come into the shop one day and one of the guys that always helps me, I was like, Hey, uh, you know, the owner wants to talk to you. And I'm like, oh man, like, what did I do? I must have, you know, broken something the last time I was in here. And so, uh, uh, the owner Jen comes out, and she's like, hey, I've been meaning to link up with you. You were on my list of people to talk to. So anyway, I have built up this relationship with Jen. We end up doing this walk. Um, somebody, when Anna had talked to her about me, somebody else had come in and also talked to her about me. And so she was just like, who is this guy that shops here that I don't know about? That everybody's telling me about. And so we just started talking from there. And so you fast forward a little bit from that moment. And Jen uh, had a really good relationship with Fuji and she had put me in contact with them and put them in contact with me. And that's just how the talk started. Um, I got to get in close in a close relationship with um, uh, Stacy, who works, you know, works at Fuji, does a lot of great work there. And it just developed over time. So, you know, Fuji kind of has their own community and they were really good at just getting photographers together. So before creators was actually a, 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 a thing, we were already meeting, like having like cool little Zoom hangouts uh, with, you know, with us, ex-photographers, just like anybody who was in that Fuji community. And it was a trip because the first time I talked with Stacy, you know, she was she had told me like, well, we've already known about you. You're already part of the Fuji family, rather you know it or not. And that so that was a trip to me. Um <laughs> That was a real trip to me. And it just kind of speaks to the power, I think, of what social media, you know, how it can connect people. Um, And so the relationship just built from there. I I really appreciated the way that Fuji approached photography. And Mm -hmm. I think that when I met the Fuji family, especially the U.S. family here, the way that they felt about photography and the way they approached photography, it made a lot of sense about the way that their products were made and what I, what I enjoyed about Fuji cameras, which was, I, you know, I, I, the way I always describe it is when I'm holding one of those cameras in my hand, it really makes me feel like a photographer. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't mean that in the sense that if I, you know, when I had a Canon in my hand or a Sony in my hand, I didn't feel like a photography, but there's photographer, but there's something about the way that a Fuji camera is designed that I, it really, you know, it really puts you in touch with, the old ways in which people used to make pictures. And I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the craftsmanship of the camera. Um, and so when I'm holding one, it just, it puts me in a, in a, in a frame, you know, a certain frame of mind. 
and and I would find myself carrying like you know my first Fuji camera was an XT20, and so I would find myself carrying this XT20 more than I was carrying my my 5D Mark III at the time. Yeah. Just because I I, I felt a certain way, like it, it was like an artistic mode. It's like going into paint, and you and you and you have your like your 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 warehouse all built out for where you want to paint at, right? There's certain you know, you, your work can't be dependent on the tools, but there are certain tools that makes you more inclined to producing better work. Right. And then if I can chime in, it, the, the, the gear that you're using feels like an extension to yourself rather than uh, you holding a tool itself. It, it's, it, it's a part of you and it helps you kind of enter that zone a little bit better. It, it, I I mean, from my point of view, I don't know how, how it would be uh, on your side. No, I mean, I 100% agree. I'm a daily camera holder, right? I don't go, I don't go anywhere without a camera. And, and so for me, I need, you know, I need a tool. I need a camera that, that I can feel really confident taking out anywhere. You know, like my, I still use an X pro two every day. Right. And yeah. I know the X-Pro3 is out. It's a phenomenal camera as well. But, I, you know, I take my X-Pro2 out every single day. I have a relationship with that camera, you know. And, um, That's a great camera. <laughs> it's a wonderful camera. It's a tank. It, it, everything I throw at it, it takes and it keeps taking beautiful images. I, I'm not concerned about the camera when I'm, when I'm out with it. And it really makes me more effective, especially as a street photographer. You know, or, or I should say a photographer spends a lot of the time creating work in, you know, out in the streets and in the public. I don't think about the camera at all. I just know it's there. And so that is the me, best part. That's the best feeling in my eyes is that you don't uh, you don't feel like you're carrying any gear. You're 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 just in the flow of using it yeah. rather than being aware of big, bulky equipment. Yeah, it's like it's like my jacket or my belt or my shoes, right? Like it's just something that I put on and and it and it allows me to make sure that I can always capture an image when I need to. And I mean, I carry my X-Pro2 more than I do my X-T4. Right? The X-T4 is a brilliant camera. I love that camera and I shoot with it a lot, but I carry my X-Pro2 even more than my X-T4. Just because like I said, I know that when I'm taking that thing, I, I mean, not to say that the X-T4 is a delicate camera, but if you've ever held an X-Pro2 versus uh, any of the Ts, <laughs> there's a different feel uh, yeah. with the camera. And there's a certain simplicity with that camera that just, you know, when you go out, it, it, it feels good to go out with it. And um, I, I would say that I find that on average with the Fuji bodies and the Fuji lens, lenses, than I than I do with any other system, and I've had you know I've had I think the only system I haven't had was a Nikon, but I've had everything else, and um, you know even when the X Pro Two wasn't the most technologically superior camera in my in my repertoire, if you will, like I would it was still just my favorite, and I would run around with that and like a fifty six millimeter one two, yeah. And I'd make it work. You know, I'd make it. Everyone said the 5612 is not a great street lens. I would make it work. And then I also had, you know, the 5612 was great, obviously, for portraits, too. So I could yep. kind of do everything I wanted on the street with that one, you know, fairly consolidated setup, an X-Pro2 and in a, in a 56 millimeter. 
you know, or or X, you know, X Pro Two and the thirty five. That's interesting that you bring up you. You worked to make the camera fit your photography style. Um, I, I think that's a unique, unique thing that I could personally relate to as well. Uh, in my own work, I've mentioned in previous episodes that uh, there was this drive that even though the 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 technical side of the cameras weren't I wasn't able to make it work in particular, like the autofocus for me. Uh, but there was still that drive to, to make it work. What is it about the gear for you that really drove you to, to make it uh, work on, on your side when it came to street photography and the, and the lens in particular uh, or any lens in particular? Um, what was it? What was that Fuji factor that really brought you to, force yourself to learn uh something new i think it was again like just the way i felt using it right i i I would my primary system when i first started to experiment with fuji cameras was a canon and i had and i had been using canon cameras my first my first serious camera as i like to call it was a canon g9 i bought in 2000 and 2007 yeah right and it was the first camera I had with manual settings and and things like that, even though it was a point and shoot. And and then after that, I went to a Canon 40D, and I had a 40D forever. I st- I'm looking at it right now on my shelf. I'll, I'll never sell that camera. Um, and then from there, I think I got myself a 6D when I moved into the full frame world, and then a 5D Mark III. I mean, so I had a, like a long lineage of using canon cameras i knew how to use them i knew how the menu system worked i knew them back and forth yes and you know i had had experienced some hand issues right i kind of i crushed my hand um and i was not able to hold those larger cameras like that the way that i used to not for long periods of time and definitely not for anything outside the studio right where i where if i really needed to i could you know put a camera on a tripod and 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 shoot off shoot that way but you know i i was planning the trip to havana and i knew i was going to take my cannon but i i had a feeling that with where my hand was at it was going to be a little difficult uh to to wheel that thing around uh havana all you know for the time i was there and so i i i picked up an xt20 and i picked up the 23 2.0 lens which was just a nice little small package it was wonderful and then I also picked up a 56 uh, 1.2 before I you know, before I left off for Havana. And I found myself just stashing the Canon away. I, yeah. I used it like the first two days. And the rest of my time there, I used my X-T20. It was small. It was compact. It wasn't very noticeable. It wasn't intimidating. you know. And I think that was a big thing, too, for me, is that as I started to look at the difference in, in my subjects as I approached them, if you, when you're when you're approaching people with a big DSLR setup and, and, and you know maybe like 135 mm, I, I shot with a 135 for a long time. When yeah. you're approaching them with that, people get curious. Like, what are these pictures for? You're obviously like press, or you're a professional, or you're this, you're that, and it can be alarming. And for me, when I when I would approach people with the XT20 and the 56 millimeter, which is you know equivalent to that 85, uh, yeah. that really beautiful 85 millimeter, right? I could approach people with that setup 
and people wouldn't think twice. In fact, most people thought I was shooting film. You know, they thought yeah. I was shooting 35 millimeter film. And uh, it was a really wonderful experience of making the camera disappear, which I always tell people. You're, when you're when you're approaching people and you're trying to take their photos, you have a lot of walls that you have to break through with them, right? That's the experience is breaking through the walls that are built up and and then finding a way to then once you've break, broke through all those walls, you can see that you can truly see the person that you're trying to photograph and they're going to be willing to give you themselves. Right. But part of one of those walls is the camera. Yes. The camera is one of the questions. What is it for? What are you taking pictures for? Et cetera, et cetera. And so when you have a smaller camera or a less noticeable camera, that wall is that much smaller. So By the way, me, I was feeling that the, the, the whole can make your camera disappear. That is, yeah. that is brilliant because that is exactly what Fuji is able to do. It's, it, it's beautiful, but it does break down that wall that, that I, I never even thought to put it in terms like that. That is, that is ingenious. And that is, uh, that is so true. I think that was a big thing for me where I really, I really fell in love with the system because it allowed, you know, for, for it allowed, allowed the camera to disappear for me. And I was never one of those guys that felt like, Oh, I need, I need to, to have a big camera and show people that I'm a professional. Right. Um, and there's some merit to that. Like, you know, especially when you talk about like wedding photography and people want to see like the equipment they want, they want, they want you to show up with the big dogs and feel like, you know, for all the money they're paying that they got, you know, the best there is. And for a lot of people, they associate the best with big. And so, uh, you know, you want to show up with a larger camera or when you show up and you're filming something, you know, you want to you want to show up with maybe a little bit of a rig so that people get a feeling that their money is well spent. Well, you know, they don't know that you can get that same image with a stripped down, uh, you know, uh, version of the camera and it'll still be just as good. They want to see the they want to see the bells and whistles. So there is some merit to that conversation. But for me. I didn't need that. I wanted, you know, I, I the whole reason I kind of moved into mirrorless uh, even before, uh, you know, before the DSLR mirrorless clash, I would say I, I was moving towards mirrorless because I needed something smaller. You know, yeah. I I, my hand just did not allow for me to shoot a DSLR size camera for long periods of time, any time, time anymore. So it was important for me to have a smaller setup. And then when I started to see how those how that smaller setup impacted my work on the street, it was it was a done deal for me. I knew that I would be using um, I, I knew that I would be using cameras that size for the rest of my career. And the image quality didn't suffer from it. The image, the images were amazing. The film simulations were brilliant. You want to talk about JPEG, you know, usable JPEGs. I can't think of a more usable JPEG than a Fuji camera. I got to ask you, which one's your favorite, man? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> because I'm so, I could be so fair weather. I mean, Velvia for me was it for a long time. Um, that was like, that was just like my favorite simulation. Uh, I, I love the vibrancy of it. Yeah. Um, but nowadays, I would say where I find myself, uh, what I find myself using the most is probably classic chrome. Mm hmm. That's yeah. I, when I when I look at my simulations, um, I'm, I'm in classic classic Chrome a lot, um, and then maybe like maybe Astia Soft from there is a, is another one for me. 
So I, I, let's uh, finalize it. Like, what what is your current gear setup? Uh, what what are the cameras that you have? And oh man, uh, I, I have a lot of cameras. Uh, we ask which ones you don't have. <laughs> if my wife is listening, I only have two cameras. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I have. Well, like I said, I never got rid of my Canon G9 and I never got rid of my 40D, right? Those were two cameras I decided were very important for me to sell. I mean, never, never to sell. Um, yeah. But I have, as far as Fuji goes, I have an X-Pro2. Uh, I have two X-T4s. Um, I sold my T20, which I regret to this day. I should have never done that. Uh, and then I have a few, uh, a few film cameras, a few medium format film cameras. Um, a Mamiya uh, RZ67, a Pentax 67, and a, a Mamiya uh, 645. Yeah. Which are, we, I, I really enjoy shooting medium format, which is why I'm super excited. I can finally talk about it because everyone's seen the ad, but, you know, um, I'm, I'm waiting to get my hands back on uh, the, the GFX 100S, oh, which is Fuji's latest medium format um, camera. And so I'm just waiting to do giving that away at six thousand dollars. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I think Fuji really, really uh, carved out a space in the medium format market. Absolutely. And then you see companies like Hasselblad creating, you know, reasonably priced sub ten thousand dollar medium format cameras. You know, and and that's a big deal to bring that sort of power into the hands of you know folks who can't spend thirty five grand on a camera, right? I'm yes. I'm not the, the twenty thousand in an up dollar camera guy. This is not me. Um, and so for it's also if you think about like I do my work a lot of times out in the street, rather it's street photography or rather it's a campaign I'm shooting or you know whatever it is. I'm outdoors. I'm not in the studio a ton and yep. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be self-conscious about my camera, you know, knowing that I have, I'm basically, you know, have a Mercedes Benz, you know, in my, in my backpack. Um, yeah. So for me to have the power of that medium format sensor and to have the, that, that you know, that um, just all the capability of really, I mean, all of Fujifilm's medium format cameras to have that capability is incredible and you know not that i want anything to happen to a six thousand dollar camera but i would certainly take that over something happening to you know like i said a twenty thousand plus camera um and and i think just the tech that they brought into the gfx 100s uh you know i joked with them when it came out and i tested this thing and i called them right away and said hey tell me the truth was this camera made for me or what because it was like so perfect for what I do. And even right now with COVID being what it, what it is, right? And so I don't want to be out. I don't want to be, you know, a part of the problem. So I'm trying not to be like up in, in, in people's faces and things like that. And so you take the power of a medium format camera out into the street. I can stand back further, use mm-hmm. the appropriate lens. And if I, if I really want to turn it into something up close and personal, there's so much detail still there. You can just crop in and crop in and crop. And, and you, you know, and you never lose. It's like you can, it's an infinite amount of detail. It feels like. Yeah. So it's a really amazing tool. Like I said, I'm looking forward to getting my hands back on it in, uh, in March is when we're supposed to be, you know, supposed to, supposed to be seeing them, um, available. 
But uh, yeah, it was an incredible camera. Pro- I, I think that that will be the only thing that pulls some time away from me in the X Pro Two is is getting back <laughs> to shooting with the GFX One Hundred S. And and I really, you know, I shot with the with the Fifty R for a while. That's um, the one I was able to use for a little bit. I, I did a movie premiere, and I was able to use that during the red carpet uh, while I was doing video work, and. I mean the 50R, man. That that was a, a, a capable awesome camera. camera. Oh man, such a capable camera. And to so I can only imagine with the the X the the 100 uh, S's like that blows my mind just from using the the 50R. Yeah, I mean the 50R was just a it's so fun, so much fun, and I love the idea of like sort of the O'Day to those older you know film cam- those 120 20 millimeter film cameras that came in like the rangefinder format right um yep. your mamiya sevens and, and and you know fuji had uh fuji had the six nine i believe it was uh you remember the uh, that, that's one thing i never got the chance to use is those medium format rangefinders they i mean amazing cameras um and and you can you know you look now you go look at them online look at the price you know they they people still love them they love the idea of being able to shoot um shoot medium format yes it, it's such a beautiful um it's such a beautiful setup and the and the images come out so beautiful you know um i love i love rolling out with my mamiya uh, my, even my even my RZ67 which is a tank and and going out with it um and a, and a good friend of mine. So I actually got to see like one of the first editions of that of that uh, GW six ninety, yep. which was was Fuji six by nine, and and you can just see why it's still you know the quality is just there. You know the quality is there. That camera will, will that camera will outlive all of us. <laughs> you know several times <laughs> over, um, but the quality was there. The images are beautiful, and so I love the fact that that Fuji kind of continues that legacy on because you know there's just not a lot of manufacturers making. Um, that style of medium format um, and expanding upon it. Like whoever, who, who would ever think that you could do the kind of photography with medium format that you can now? Like, yeah. Everybody uh, like you photography. Photography. Yeah. They said it was just too slow for, for any other application outside the studio or, or, you know, landscape. Um, and now look at it, you know, and just imagine what it's going to be like two years from now. I mean, I mean, the 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 f- jump between the the fifty megapixel and one hundred me- megapixel was astounding. It, it, yeah. And I, I could only imagine what it's going to be in, in, in two years when they update that camera. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it, it just puts a serious amount of of power. Uh, image power in the hands of, of a photographer and you know i like i said i'll take images with my pro 2 that i'm in love with right or, or but at the same time i enjoy having the power of medium format yep. and i'm a big you know i know this is a, a long-standing argument and fuji actually finds themselves on both sides of the argument right because they don't make full frame cameras they make crop sensors and they make full i mean they make medium format and so there is, you know, we see that you can still you can have a smaller sensor, and if your te- your tech is is on point, you can still get a really amazing image. But I think when you start, you know, one thing I like about Fuji's crop sensor cameras is that they didn't get into the megapixel race. 
Yes. Right. That's one of the biggest benefits in the way that they design their cameras is that they're not in a megapixel race. Because if you start trying to shove 50 or 60 megapixels onto that sensor to keep up with, you know, some of the stuff other manufacturers are putting on full frame, you're going to get these super digital, very sharp images that are, are just not going to be very appealing. And then I love the fact that where they are adding the megapixels is on the medium format sensor. And so now you have these full frame cameras trying to compete in the megapixel race, if you will, with with medium format. And we know that when you have more room on that sensor to put the same amount of pixels, your image, your images are going to they're going to feel better. Yep. And so I love that they've actually they've actually stayed out of the full frame market and they've invested in crop and they've invested in medium format. And yeah, I mean, that everybody will argue with that one to till they're blue in the face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the fact that APS-C. Like the size difference is negligible now. Um, And I know some full frame lovers are going to argue that one. Um, And there's not going to be any consoling that either. Uh, People are kind of set in their ways. Uh, But man, I am, I am happy with APS-C and the fact that it allows the cameras to remain small because I mean, look at it. Not to pick on Sony, I'm I'm certainly not. It, it's a uh, it has great image quality, but you look at their full frame latest camera, and it's I would say it's no no heavier uh, as as far as like weight wise than uh, the the five D Mark III that I was using uh, years ago. Yeah, uh, you know when you throw on the 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 glass on it like the the 24 to 70 equivalent whatever it is on their side i'm sure that's you know you know big hunk of glass and i probably the majority of the weight <laughs> yeah i mean uh, i had you know a sony a7 III for a while with the 85 g master lens and it was just it felt so off balance to to work that camera without a battery grip because the lens you know my lens was so it was so massive compared to the body and then you have the twenty four seventy lens which was even longer um, I, I've always really enjoyed uh, the fact that you can put these smaller lenses on a Fuji body you know and very similar to the way that a Leica is set up right you can get a Leica and and you can put a smaller smaller lens that still packs a lot of power on there um, and so for me and I think I think these camera manufacturers are really good at understanding wh- who their market is and like what they're and what those people are using the cameras for. You yeah. Know? And, and there's a culture, you know, within the Fuji community and there's a culture within the, I mean, there's a culture within every camera ma- manufacturer community, but I would really say, you know, if you look at Leica and Fuji, there's, there's a real culture about kind of the things that people are shooting with those cameras. Absolutely. Let's, deviate a little bit from the 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 gear talk and kind of go into uh your background because you have uh a very diverse uh history with w- within the art community uh because photography isn't your only uh artistic endeavor um how where where did you get started and l- let's kind of dive if it goes further back uh than photography what was your first artistic influence and then how did that drive you into photography and what else did you do in addition to photography oh man that's a that's a it's an interesting um 
it's an interesting journey because my first like artistic influence i mean i i, I would say art's been like that one thing i can remember doing when i was in kindergarten right yeah like, like all kids right we, you know drawing and things like that but i remember it always seemed like that was a place where i stood out you know and and, and that the teachers would like kind of focus in on you know letting me know that i that, that i was was exceptional in that and like in, in the way that i drew things so I drew, th- I, I was, I was drawing for a long time and, and I, you know, obviously I discovered comic books, which was like huge in my life. I was a huge comic book guy. Um, and, and so I would, I would sort of copy that style, right. I would like literally trace comic. I would literally trace something out of a comic book to understand how, how bodies worked and how movement worked yeah. and, and cross hatching and things like that. Which was your favorite? Oh man. I was a, I was a, a, um, an X-Men fan for sure. Uh, I really loved. Um, I really loved Spawn. It was a really a really great comic book for me. Um, oh, this is during the '90s, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's X Men in the Spawn. <laughs> that that Image Comics. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I remember those days. Those were those were good times. Yeah, and I just I just thought that image, I, I, the way that image, the way that their artists like rendered these their 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 work, it was just beautiful to me, and I I thought it was just really. Uh, it, it called to me. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Like it really just was something I enjoyed. And and it was cool. Like my dad would take me to comic book shops and yeah, you know, he, he was, he was in the comics as well. But like, like my dad was, is the, is the person that got me into anime, you know, like I, I, we would, we would watch anime all the time. And, um, Oh, you got a good dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I lucked out, man. Like it was just cool. Right. To have, you know, you know, where a lot of people's dads were telling them like, you know, don't, don't worry about, you know, stay, you know, stay away from comics and, and video games and, 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 uh, anime and stuff like that. Right. It's a waste of time. And, you know, my dad really embraced, uh, those things. He was an anime fan himself and, you know, and the other things that I was interested in, he, he, you know, he, he gave me the, the ability to pursue those things. Um, and so I really appreciated him for that. Now, I mean, he was also very much like about the books, right? Like there was, you know, there was no, no, uh, extracurriculars if I wasn't handling school, uh, yes. And and by and by introducing me to all these other things, right, that I really enjoyed, it also gave him some extra things to take away from me, right? If I if I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, you know, it made his tool his parental toolbox a lot a lot a uh, lot more in depth. Uh, yeah. both, both my parents, my mom and my dad, really encouraged me as an artist. Um, and 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 I I have to really appreciate them for that. They really encouraged me as an artist, and um. But yeah, I think that was my first thing. And then about junior high, no, I'm sorry. It was, I was in sixth grade. So I think, I think that's junior high for some people, but for me, it was still considered elementary where I'm from. And uh, my neighbor gave me this, this little book by this graffiti artist out of Europe called Bates. And uh, this guy would, he was all, he, he would put up stuff all over the world. And I just couldn't take my eyes off the work. I thought it was the coolest thing. And I was sort of discovering hip hop around that time. I, you know, somebody gave me my first like legitimate hip hop tape, which was this Cannibal Ox tape when I was in fifth grade. And it just yeah. changed, my, changed my world, man. And so graffiti was sort of like this this introduction into into the into the world of hip hop in a language that I could already speak, right? Because I I had already been drawing, I'd already been into you know making co- you know like little comics and and things like that, and. Uh, Graffiti just seemed like an extension of that, and even in the way that, um, even in the way that it was done, and the way the colors were set, and the way that the the darks, you know, where the shadows were set, like everything about it was very graphic, 
And yeah. um, and so I got into graffiti. Very jagged. It, it was, yeah. There was just like there was. I mean, some 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 graffiti artists would even really mix sort of that like comic book, um, the lettering and things like that, like into their work. And so for me, I just fell in love with it. And I so I had this book by Bates. It was really hard to like. This is the '90s, right? So you couldn't go onto YouTube and learn something. If you wanted to find something on the internet, maybe you could find a forum board you know, or a chat room where people were talking about it. But, you know, it, this was like my main reference to what graffiti was supposed to be. Um, like not just a flash, like in a movie. Right. But I was so, I was so obsessed with it. Like I would find movies like, like beach street or, um, uh, uh, beat, it was beach street and, um, and breaking electric boogaloo. Right. Like I would find those movies, any movie that had graffiti in it. I even remember like sister act when, 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 when she comes to, uh, the, you know, the school in San Francisco, and there was a and there was a guy doing graffiti. I would like find those scenes and I would pause. I would pause, you know, if, if it was on if it was on tape, I would pause the VHS so I could like examine, you know, what what graffiti looked like without, you know, without it flashing by, right? Yeah. And, and so I would from there I just started tracing letters, right? I, so Bates was like a huge inspiration. I would I would basically copy his letters until I learned how to make letters, and then I would I would form you know different letters to make the letters of, of my name at the time. And that was my start. Right. So graffiti was really huge for me. Um, but in the meantime, I was still doing like more traditional um, forms of, of visual art. So I was still, you know, I was doing black and white charcoal work, uh, ink work. I was doing a lot of ink work, a lot of pencil stuff, you know, for, for in sketchbooks and things like that. And I was painting. Um, and so that that was my that, that was where my, my feet sort of got on solid ground with art. And I knew that this was going to be something I was going to do for the rest of my life. Um, photography came in the picture much later. And if you would have told me at any of those points in time, even all the way up and through college, if you would have told me that photography would be like my main source of, of, of artistic expression, I would have told you you were crazy. It wouldn't have even made sense to me because I've been, you know, I, I was a, I was a pianist. I, and you know, I just, I loved expression. Yes. In any way that I could do it. And so, you know, you know, my parents had got me piano lessons and things like that. And I, and I would learn how to play by ear. I was a huge jazz fan. You know, um, there's another thing my dad had to take away from me. Right. If I was not doing what I was supposed to do in, in school, it was like <laughs> like the first thing it would be like, all right, no hip hop on the radio. And if I kept messing up, all right, no jazz on the radio. Right. It was he, he had all these these things he could sort of remove from from uh, from me that I really enjoyed if I if I wasn't doing you know what I was supposed to do. And so photography, I, I even remember being in high school and they had we had a photography club in high school and some, some of my friends were part of it. I just couldn't see how photography was art like that because I had come from such a like uh, a space where you were like really manufacturing something from nothing. And, and in my kid mind, I was like, well, if you know, if you hand me a camera and I take a picture of a flower and that person takes a picture of a flower and that person takes a picture of a flower, we all took a picture of a flower like it's already there. It wasn't yeah. until I was older and my my mind had matured and my sensibilities as, as an artist had matured that I was able to understand the artistry in photography, you know. And and I always say that, you know, things like photography and even writing, I think, are are are, are art forms that really shine as you refine your life as 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 your experience in, in life becomes more refined. And, 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 and you and you have more experiences. 
because I think if you if you if you love photography, if you are a photographer, you have a very deep understanding of the of the way that moments are not everlasting. Right. And that, and that moments are important. Right. The importance of a moment, even if it was just a split second, but the importance of a moment. And I think when you're younger, you don't necessarily have a, a great understanding of that. Time is not as precious as it is when you're older. Absolutely not. You know, I always tell people like, you know, where I grew up, it was a fairly violent place. I had a really great child. I mean, a, a really amazing childhood. I had wonderful childhood memories, uh, great parents, great family, great friends. But all of that being the same, none, none of us were immune to the realities of growing up in Richmond, which is where I grew up. I, I grew up in Richmond, California. Yeah. And it was a very violent place. A uh, lot of gang activity and a lot of gun violence, a lot of drugs and a lot of gun violence. And so I, you know, growing up, I was used to losing people, family, friends. I was used to hearing about violence. These were all just things that had been normalized in my brain because of the frequency. And I wish that I was more into photography when I was a kid, because there's people that are dead that I will never be able to take pictures of. You know, there's 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 lives of people that were important to me that I will not be able to document. And so as I grew older and more people, you know, you lose people or you watch the world change. Right. Then you really start to understand the importance of documentation. And, and examining uh, this world around you, especially if you're a photographer of people. I mean, I think it's true with all forms of photography, but it's especially if you're a photographer of people, you know, you start to really understand um, the power of photography. And and also I was, I'm, I'm really into history, you know? And so there there's something very, there's something very alluring about being able to document uh, tomorrow's history. Yeah. No matter how mundane uh, it, it is, still freezing that little moment of time. And I've found in in my years uh, that now watching my kids grow up way too fast, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just like the, those little mundane things uh, have kind of stuck with me and, and Facebook and it's all it's evil glory trying to show me the past and it's like hey remember this moment in time yeah. it's like, oh yeah yeah all right that's that's one of mine that's okay yeah all right thanks i, I didn't need that first thing in the morning i'm telling you, yeah that's always a trick <laughs> facebook memories you know it hits you it hits you and uh so that's why i've been avoiding it my wife would be like oh yeah look at this look at this i'm like uh-huh 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 please uh not right now yeah something was like eight years ago or nine years ago ten years ago and you're like my goodness the time is yeah gone by but i but, I, I really fell in love with photography for that yeah you know and uh so what was as you finally get into photography. What was that moment that just that, that, that flipped that switch where it was, uh, as you mentioned, you know, you, you realize the importance of a, of a moment when, when was that? And I got to ask what, what was your, uh, camera of, of choice back then? So it's, 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 it's funny, right? Because 
so I ran track in college. Was a yeah. Track and and if if anyone knows about collegiate track, any I mean really any any track collegiate or, or, or below or higher, right? You train all year and you kind of run and, and do your events all year because there's indoor track. Obviously there's track in the spring. And then if you do well in the spring, you run track in the summer and then the fall comes around and you're training for indoors again, right? It's just like this continuous yeah. thing. So when we were in college, right, we, we did not have long breaks. So, you know, everyone would go off for, you know, winter break or whatever, and we'd be right back. We'd get like two weeks off back home and then we'd have to be right back on campus to train because indoor season was like right around the corner so it was a 2005 my parents bought me this like kodak easy share you know camera with the little base so you could like connect it to your connect it into to your computer and like download the pictures right away i remember those that was my first like camera right nothing fancy at all and uh i it was a trip because I started using this thing and I, I was just having a blast taking pictures of, of me and my friends uh, as we were just aimlessly the only ones on campus, uh, you know, during during these breaks. So I got I got the camera that Christmas, Christmas of 05 and came back like a week later to, to campus and uh, just like all these really mundane bored uh moments you know i was recording all of them i was photographing them i was using the little uh the little video camera mode and 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 capturing video and i don't know what it was but i just i felt really i felt a certain way when i was when i was observing people yeah And, and it was really cool to like you know after we would what you know do a bunch of this stuff like to go back and watch it like a day later you know or look at the pictures a little bit later and um that was like my first experience with that sort of feeling like catching the shutter bug if you will so i i messed around with that for a few you know the my remaining years in college and then um i get out of i get out of college and you know unbeknownst to me no one was waiting to give me like my high-powered job as soon as i walked off stage right i was waiting for my for someone to hand me a suit and hand me you know the keys to my bmw and i was going to live the professional life that i'd always seen in the movies you know as a kid like you go to college and then you get a you get a great job and you live happily ever after well none of that happened it's 2007 uh the job market was was sort of halting and, oh my god, yeah, that's right before the 2008 crash. Yep, it was it was getting bad right around then. So <laughs> I just I ended up working at Circuit City, and I was a I was a fire dog technician. It was like what what you know the guys used to work on computers. So I was a fire dog tech, and a couple of the other guys were into cameras, and I said, "Oh, I'm in the cameras too." Uh, well, they were into the big stuff, you know. They were into DSLRs, and so I basically picked up my Canon G9. Uh, for you know, not too not too much money. Use my little Circuit City discount, and those guys kind of walked me through how to use a use a manual camera, uh, because again, the G nine had manual settings. Yeah, and it wasn't too long after that that I ended up buying. Um, I'm sorry, actually, no, my parents, my parents bought me a 40D as sort of like a, a, a late um, graduation gift from college. And, sweet. Um, yeah, it's completely lucked out. Use my Circuit City discount again to get a little something off of it. But I, but I was really interested in photography. My parents grabbed me that, and 
it's interesting too because I, we always talk about i think it's a really common conversation that especially in um black communities you know we don't have cameras just floating around as fam- family heirlooms you know there's there's an there's an accessibility issue in the art of photography and it's very and it's tied into socioeconomics so i didn't know photographers growing up i did not know any photographers growing up i remember uh one i remember one guy who was taking pictures and he obviously was a lot older and had a regular job and could afford stuff right but there was not you know we 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 didn't have access to cameras like that and so i you know i was very fortunate that my parents were in a position to purchase me that camera um because it's it it gave me access into this world that i was really interested in and it was life-changing and that 40d lasted me a long time i mean that 40d lasted me a lot longer than it should have i i ended up buying like a 2470 l series lens and i think that extended the life of this of this 40d a little bit longer but yeah it lasted me a lot longer than it should have um those cameras took a beating i oh yeah totally agree with you there i think i had uh the 30d um and and that was like that camera saved my uh saved my bacon in in one wedding um i remember photographing uh as as the bride is coming down the hill fortunately there was a, a long way before she made it to to the aisle my uh my 5d i i just for some reason took a test shot right before she came into into view and then the the mirror pops off the, oh, no. the inside and it's like shit <laughs> <laughs> i just had this fixed um and, and so my 30d which had the telephoto um what w- now became my primary camera and, and so it, I didn't have time to switch out the glass, but because now the bride is uh, approaching the, the the aisle, and fortunately we were out, outside. So as she's coming down the aisle, I am making, I am walking backwards just to um, capture everything, and, and like that moment taught me to kind of be outside the box a little bit. I. I relied heavily on the 24 to 70 during weddings. And and in this particular one, I decided to keep the 70 to 200 on and it it was, it was great. I I, I loved it. And uh, the only issue was the noise reduction wasn't as good as the five day, but it certainly was not. I remember APSD wasn't as good back then as it is now. (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, I remember, I remember seeing the world differently. Once I had a six D I had, that was my first full frame. And I six D great camera, amazing camera. It was a camera. I wish I, another camera. I wish I never sold, you know, um, it was just, the only thing I hated about it was it only the, the 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 focus point uh, was uh, the, the the center one was the best one. Yes, uh, but, that was my far. only gripe about it, and that's why I never could really use it. But as far as like form factor, man, that thing just melted into your hands. Yeah, it was beautiful. It. it was beautiful, and like I said, for an intro into full frame, it was perfect. It was yes. really perfect. 
Um, I mean, to be honest, you know, there was not a lot of things I was shooting at the time that I shot with my 6D that I, that I, I'm sorry, that I, that I ended up shooting with the 5D Mark III when I upgraded that I couldn't have shot just as good with the 6D. Yeah. And so I, for me, I was just like, man, I should have never sold that camera. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, like I said, again, very fortunate. That was one thing I can always say about my parents. They were always committed to me and my sister and, and trying to, they, they gave us everything we needed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we were not a rich family at all. Um, but they, my parents worked like crazy. Um, we were a very like middle-class blue collar family where basically my parents would just work a ton of hours to make, you know, yeah. to get money to, to, to be able to put me and my sister in positions to, you know, have piano lessons or like my sister had violin lessons. Uh, you know, we went to private schools later on, you know, when we got to middle school, high school age, we went to private schools. Um, we, had, you know, we went on family trips, it, you know, even if it wasn't fancy, it wasn't like we were going out to Europe or anything, but my parents would pack us in a car. We'd drive and go see my family in Louisiana, or we'd go up to Lansing, Michigan and see my family there, you know, and just, just moments of really teaching us that it's important to be together. And it's not mm-hmm. always about, you know, how fancy it is, but it's about, you know, the quality of time that you're spending with the people that are important to you. Um, though, you know, those were, those were the type of parents that I had. And, and in turn, like, they supported a lot of stuff that I, that I was interested in and what I, what, what I wanted to do, you know? And, um, again, photography was one of those things. They saw it and, and they made it happen. They got me my 40 D and that camera, you know, was basically the camera that started it all off for me, you know, because I was taking it, taking it with me everywhere. People would see my pictures and they go, how much to, you know, for you to come shoot X, Y, and Z. And I'd say, oh, you know, ain't like I'm a pro or anything. So, you know, I'll, I'll just come and shoot a few few shots for you. And it got to the point where people would refuse not to pay me. And yeah. I, that's how I, that was my official transition into becoming a professional, you know, quote unquote, professional photographer is people were refusing not to pay me for my pictures and for my time. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great feeling. And, and so from there, where was the primary focus uh like where was your career primarily focused in was it portraiture was it commercial work no 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 it was definitely i I mean i think i don't want to speak for all photographers but i will say a lot of people especially like i guess what my generation of photographer would be i started man taking pictures of things that could not tell me no right flowers uh you know a cool a cool mustang that i see parked on the street somewhere um, you know, completely random things th- that were safe. And um, the only people I was photographing at the time were like people I knew. I wasn't walking up to strangers and taking photos of them. Right on. And I did landscape for a, a while, you know, landscape, cityscape stuff. And um, from there, you know, a really good friend of mine, uh, an amazing photographer had sort of challenged me to push myself. Um, this is a photographer of visual memories on Instagram. Probably a lot of people know her name from the Fuji community because she's just such a brilliant, uh, a brilliant photographer. But she had challenged me to get closer to my subjects that I was photographing because I, I had gotten into street photography. I started studying photography and it just kind of led me into to the world of street photography. And so I was taking, you know, photos and I'd pull out my 135 millimeter lens and, you know, I'd take my, take, you know, photos, observing, observing people, observing life. 
but definitely more from a disconnected point of view and just as a just as an observation only nothing nothing interactive and so she had challenged me to get closer and i'm thinking like you know did you not just see the amazing picture i took of the guy's hand you know at the cafe and she's like no i can tell what lenses you're, you're using and you're using long lenses she's like i don't mean closer by you know your proximity you know how how tight your frame is i mean closer to the people to get reactions and to create some sort of interaction with the space that you're photographing. And so I started doing that and it was completely out of my comfort zone, you know, um, as far as a photographer. And then as I got closer and I was taking these pictures, you know, people would start asking me, you know, why, you know, why are you taking my picture? And I would have to start talking to people. And those conversations are, are really what primed me for being able to talk you know, to, to my subjects who I talked to today about taking their portraits. Um, but I think that was a big shift for me. Um, there was an, there was another really pivotal place for me as far as like people, it was, um, a, a cousin of mine had been murdered and I had, uh, I had found his body like in this alleyway in the projects where we're from or in the city that we're from. Oh my and goodness. It was like, it was a really sort of, uh, traumatizing Thing for me because although this wasn't like the first family member who I had who had been killed I th- you know this was like a new level of closeness to that yes so I I, I but I was still okay you know I was I was working things out myself and I, I hadn't I didn't know how to react to it so I was just kind of like mulling this over in my, in my own head like I was handling it internally but I could tell that my family was really concerned about me and I could I can sense that they, you know, they wanted to ask me about how I felt about things and how it was affecting me, but I just didn't feel like talking to people about it. And it, the, the, the amount of, uh, sort of anticipation of like sort of some kind of breakdown I was going to have, or, you know, I could tell that people were wondering what was happening inside my head. It was exhausting to me. And so I, you know, I did go into a a pretty good little depression, uh, in that, period of time and I didn't want to you know go out and do a lot of things but one of the things that I did go out and do is I took pictures and I found myself taking pictures of people and I'd be out on the streets and I'd meet people you know who were having a really hard time with life but they're I always noticed you know that people were able to still be happy even with lives that was full of tragedy and I'd meet people who had you know who had mental health issues substance abuse issues people who were homeless, people who were in between that, people who had just multiple things going on with them. And their stories were so, one, their stories made me not feel so alone in my grief and in, in, in this trauma I experienced. But two, their stories and their attitudes reminded me that like you can find joy and you can find happiness in life. It's, sometimes it's an active process, Right. I'm not one of those people that subscribe to, oh, well, all you have to do is choose happiness. That's craziness, right? That's crazy. I agree with that. It's, it, you know, human beings are too complex for such a simple thing to just choose happiness. But I, what I learned from these people was that happiness can be something you work towards. And you can redefine what makes you happy. You can redefine what a successful life is. And so in that, I was able to sort of like find my own little therapy group with this camera and the people I was going out to like the camera forced me to be out talking to people and meeting people. And there was a lot of like, so, so for me, the camera was like absolutely necessary. 
and photographing people and street portraiture became absolutely necessary. It's like part of my therapy now, right? Like what I was doing to be to to be good was going out and taking these photos. And I just never I never stopped after that. You know, I ne- I never stopped after that. Even when I got into other forms of photography, I, you know, I would still take, you know, take time to take these pictures. And then later on again, you know, my friend challenged me to sort of do that with my street work, and I did. And and it was something that people were able to really relate to. You know, there's this thing in humanity where our stories are these webs of like connectivity. And, you know, I think it speaks to who we are and like what we are as animals, like we're tribal animals. Right. We 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 thrive in groups. Human beings do. And so. I felt like the pictures I was taking in the stories I was telling was creating sort of this like network of human connection um, and utilizing social media to do that to the point where I, I had, I would have people from all over the world, you know, DM me or, or sending me, you know, tweets about a picture and the picture could have been like somebody from, you know, some, somebody from the projects in, in Oakland somewhere, right? Like dealing with a completely different life circumstance than this person in, you know, Taiwan. But, but but people were interested in like the lives of other people, genuinely interested in the lives of other people. And so in that, I, I, I was able to find great value in that. And I, I thought, I think that's where I find the most value in my photography is that it connects people. Looking through your Instagram photos, there is, there is something about your portrait work that is, that I can't quite put my finger on, but you have, you, you, there's portraits, but then there's these kinds of portraits that have a story to them. And, and, and to me, looking at them, it it's as though each portrait is th- there's a conversation there that that I, I can't quite hear or imagine in my head, but. That you you are just bringing out so much in these photos that that kind of show the the person's you're you're projecting their history and their uh and their emotions in, in these in these photos I, again I can't I cannot do it any justice uh, describing it uh, because it I mean it. it it's a visual medium, but, <laughs> um, but they're, they're powerful. They, every photo has just so much in, in there as, as far as, uh, a person's character and a person's, um, you know, you know, just a, a person's, you know, maybe drive or, or that, that, that spark within everybody. Um, it is each one is its own unique just amazing story and i i can see why everybody is drawn to them uh they're not just regular portraits they are they are that a, a slice of life and it's amazing that you can bring this out in, in people uh, but per, to, to what you were saying before, uh, you know, you, 
during the the process and, and before and after you're having uh these conversations and, and that that is uh, do you want to tell me a little bit more about how like how you approach people or 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 is it always just going to be something different per person I mean, it is always something different per person, but I think the essence of where it's coming from is always the same. And that, that, that essence is like being a genuine human being with them. You know, like, I don't care who you are, what you're going through, your socioeconomic you know, status, your, your gender, your race. None of that matters to me. Right. Because at the end of the day, like we're all human beings carrying human stories. And when we die, our life will be a story of a human being. And so I think that's what I'm always looking for is the is, is as raw of a human being as I can get out of that person with the short time that I have with them. Because that's where we relate. If you yeah. shut down all the other bullshit that 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 circles around us and divides us uh, as a country, divides us on a global level. Right. We all have the same basic needs. We're all the same thing. <laughs> you know, like we just happen to live on different parts of this planet, but we're all the same thing with all the same animal. And so in that, we all have the same basic needs. And then our more refined needs are just they're just based off of those very basic needs. Yes. And so in that. It's like you can you can connect with anybody. Because you're a human and they're a human. So so this act of human connectivity, although it feels very foreign to a lot of people, it's one of the most natural things you can do. Like, I, I, again, I go back to saying human beings are tribal creatures, right? We're tribal animals. Throughout all the different stages to, to arrive where we're at now as, a, as homo sapiens, we have bound together in, in groups. And that is the way we do our, we do best. And I think that speaks to the spirit of what it is to be human. And I, for me, my portraits, I think I'm trying to speak to that. What it means to be human. What, it, what, what, is, what is humanity in, in all its different forms? And I want you to be able to see that no matter who's in, who's in front of the lens. You know, people that you may walk by and pay no attention to, people you may be frightened of, people you may have no kind of contextual understanding for. I want to help bring that um, to the to the, to to you and to that person through 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 a photo, and and the only way to get that is for me to deliver my authentic self, because a lot of people that I photograph, like if I'm if I they 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 are masters at sniffing out bullshit, and so if that's what I'm delivering to them, they're you know one I'm probably not going to get the picture, and two if I get it, it's not going to be there be there's going to be something missing, right? Yeah. The biggest tip I give to people when they want to get into street portraiture is just be yourself. Be real. Tell people what you want, but also be there for more than a picture. Be committed to the act of being a human being with another human being. And then and, and you, what you'll find is that you get pictures that you can really connect with and that other people can connect with. But if you rush through it, if people can just tell you're just there for a picture, you'll, you maybe you'll get a picture. But, it, you know, who knows if it'll be any good? Who knows if there'll be that human element to it? Like if, if that's what you offer, you might as well be the paparazzi. 
right? You might as well just be snapping pictures where you're not even involved. Yes. That is, uh, and, and your work is definitely the opposite of paparazzi. <laughs> I, I try to bring intimacy to my work, right? I, I want to establish an intimate connection with every subject that I have, right? If we, if we, if we really break down what intimacy is. And yes. I, I want to bottle that and I want to I want to photograph that bottle and I want to send it out to other people. So we never we never forget that because for me, it was like there was times I just wanted to be completely separated away from social media. I, I find it to be a very toxic place in a lot of ways. And I think right. and, and I think especially so for artists, I think social media for an artist can be very, very confining. It can it can it can dull your vision. It can, it's very easy to be misled. Yes, absolutely. But for me, I, I think I, I was able to find a way to take this thing and use it to do the opposite, kind of the opposite of what it does. Right. So like social media is supposed to supposed to be this way, this tool for us to connect with all with people all over the world. But in reality, it, it really sort of stunts a lot of the the social um, tools that that other generations have much more naturally developed, right? I remember being a kid, and I if I wanted something, or I wanted to have a friend, or I wanted to talk to somebody or do something, I had to walk up to them in their face and talk to them. Yeah. And, and especially my parents' generation and their parents' generation, right? There are just certain social skills that you just had to have because there was no other means to, to, to deal with people outside of that. You fast forward to now and you can have friends, you can have close friends that you never have to even see in person. Yeah. You have friends all over the world. But the actual skill of, of having intimate, sharing intimate space with another human being, looking in their eyes, listening to their voice, watching their body language and delivering those same things to them. That's a lost art. And, and one of the I, I started to notice that the questions that people had most about my work was not how I worked the camera, but how I was able to work with people. And I realized that's the big yeah. that's what people that's what's alluring to people about my work is there's a mystery with how to deal with people, because people are always asking me, how do you just walk up and, and how did you get that picture? What would you say to them? You know. And so I realized that's where that's where people connect with my work is that they want to know, like, how do I deal with people? Yeah. And it, it is weird that in an age, in a digital age where we've never been closer, we've never been further apart. Yes. It is. Um, I, w- I would say technology has exaggerated the, the possibilities in, in that. Yes, there's endless possibilities, but on on the other side of the coin, there's also that 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 sharp edge of the knife is also cutting a little bit deeper potentially. So yes, it's dangerous, right? Like you can you can totally feel like you're being social, but then you're not. Yep, it's like it's it's the reason why. I remember my 10 year high school reunion. Some people came, some people didn't, you know, but I remember like, it wasn't a big deal. Like no one really cared. 
And I think about my parents' generation and their, and, you know, like, or the generation before them. Like, those things were big deals because you would see people that you hadn't seen or talked to for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, whatever, you know, whatever iteration of, of, of it that you were in. And now, you know, I know I, there's people I haven't seen through high school since high school. I know exactly what they're doing in their lives. Yep. So maybe going to my 15 year reunion is not a big deal. Right. Because I, you know, I go, okay, I know, I know what so-and-so is doing. I haven't seen them in, in 15 years, but I definitely feel like I know what they're doing, what they've been up to. And if you're well, ever curious, it's, it's just a few taps away on a keyboard. Exactly. Just a few taps away. The only people you wonder about are the ones who, who decide not to take, take part in the social media game. Yeah. <laughs> You'll yeah. find them on LinkedIn. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyone else? <laughs> It's just, you know, you just don't, you don't care as much because you yeah. feel like you, you, you feel like you've been social with them, but you haven't. And so I think that's what, I think that's what it provides now is this like this false sense of, so, of, of being social without any of the actual true benefits of what human beings gain from socially being together. So, you know, for me, I, I just wanted to be, I didn't want to contribute to that, to that, what I found to be toxic, toxic space. I wanted yeah. to make sure that I was delivering something I felt people could benefit from and what could be impactful. Something more than just a, a beautiful picture, but a beautiful story and, and, and a beautiful moment for someone to connect with it, with another human being, examine their face, their eyes, their, their lips, their, their hands, their, their skin, you know, really examine the person take them in, read their story or, or, or read what I've written, you know, maybe about the interaction I had with that person. Yeah. That was big for me. I, I, there, there was also too, a lot of my work is based on challenging implicit bias. In what way? I mean, you, you as far as how, how does that pertain to your, your photography? Well, I mean, a, a lot of my photography takes place in black communities, mm -hmm. Hispanic communities. They take place with people who, again, who are suffering from mental illness, substance abuse, homelessness. And there are there are preconceived notions that we all have made about different people. And so for me, I was interested in delivering images and stories about people that a lot of other folks would probably either walk by or try to avoid. Yeah. To make you challenge one, why you're doing that. And two is, is, is everything that you've built up about this person also very true, right? Growing up where I grew up, I knew drug dealers. I know people who would eventually go away for murder. I knew all types of people, but what I also, what I was able to learn about people when I was, when, you know, growing up with, with all these different types of people or folks who sort of lived on the fringes, was that they also had a favorite color. They had their favorite movie. A lot of them had ambitions that were outside of their environment. Uh, I knew I knew people before and after drugs, right? I, 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 so I remember who they were and then and then I, I could clearly see what they would have, you know would ultimately become. Um, I, I realized growing up where I realized or uh, growing up where I, where I grew up, I realized that people were complex. And that often if you just assume or you sort of make people into a singular thing because of uh, 
the spaces that they find themselves in in life at that time, that there's a whole other like 80% of the person you're missing out on. And so I wanted to create images that challenged the way that we looked at people by, by, by making, like forcing you to, 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 to look at them differently. Yes. And so that was big for me. Right. And like, I'll never forget, I was doing this uh, workshop with Apple some years back and, and uh, the workshop ended up being sort of like a walk through San Francisco where, you know, where we, you know, would take some pictures with, uh, with an app, with the Apple iPhone and whatnot. And I remember this lady had come up to me. She had told me that she had, well, you know, originally was from China and that there were pictures that she had saw on, on, on my Instagram. And, and she told me straight up, she said, these, there are pictures on there of people I would 100% avoid. And she said, but what was, she said, what was alarming to me is I didn't know why I would avoid them. And she said, the pictures that you take made me think about that and made me examine, you know, how I was maybe judging people. And so for me, that was a huge compliment. Like one, I think that, you know, implicit bias is one of those things we develop in a way, you know, people try to develop that to be safe or whatnot, right? Or, Or at least some sort of conception of safety. But also a lot of it's kind of fueled by nothingness. It's, it's fueled by the lack of knowledge of, of a thing than, than more so than it is the knowledge of something. And so if my work can make anyone stop for a little bit and think um, and, 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 and move outside themselves or their, their preconceived notion of other human beings um, because the, the, the medium that they get to do that in is a very safe space, like looking at a photograph is very safe, right? Yes. If I can get people to challenge the way that they think about people and I can get people to think about the, the, the implicit biases that we all carry, every single human being carries these things, then I feel like, okay, I've done something to contribute, to contribute in, a, in a positive way. And, and so for me, I think that's a big deal to make sure that I'm creating work that's contributing positive, positively to how human beings look at each other, how they treat each other, how they interact with each other. And, and also what questions are they asking themselves to become, you know, a more evolved version of, of themselves, right? Not being stunted in the space of, of, of not being challenged. Yes. And I mean, th- that I think speaks volumes uh, of your, of your work. Uh, your portraits are, are definitely that they are glimpses into, into people uh, and a, a whole lifetime is 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 captured in you know just just the mere portrait of a of a person, and it's. I think everybody should take a moment to to first of all follow you and uh, check out your work because. I, I think more importantly th- than anything, um, you the the way you're able to capture people, and and, and again, we're we're over time on this one. Uh, I, <laughs> I could keep talking and talking uh, to to you, uh, and I know there's there's a whole other uh, chapter that I'd love to bring you back on to 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 talk about. Yeah, uh, time, man. Time. yeah my, <laughs> wife, my wife came down and gave me the, the evil eye, you know, so I think that, you know, the kiddos are probably running amok upstairs. Yeah, but I think 
in the end, it, it, like just your. I mean, I, I, you know what? I'm I'm not even gonna uh, keep going because your work speaks for itself. Um, I I could praise it to to till the cows come home. Just just that the the way you grab uh, a person's attention and, and present a person is just absolutely amazing, and everybody should check out your work. Uh, one more time, tell the world where they could find you on the web. Uh, so I uh, well, first of all, I appreciate those words, but they, they mean a lot to me. I think as an artist, you know, you get it right. We're always trying to figure out like why do why am I doing this art that I'm doing? You know, uh, one of one of my like. I look at him as like a big brother. He, he's he's like a mentor. He's an amazing photographer, Ready Roy. He he asked like, you should be asking yourself, why am I doing this work? Who else is benefiting from this work? And and so I try to ask myself that when I when I'm creating these portraits. And so again, like I, I, to me, it's a huge compliment for you to say what you said because, you know, sometimes you don't always feel that you're that you're moving in the right direction. You know, or, you know, all, all I think all artists sort of question themselves and question their art and try to say, well, I mean, what's good about it? You know, yeah. um, I mean, that's part of the growth. That's a growth process, too. Right. Like if you're asking that question then you're challenging yourself, you're not staying stagnant, which is important. Um, but no, where you can find me at is uh, my Instagram, uh, Rough Draft. It's R-U-F-F-D-R-A-F-T. Um, my website similar, www.roughdraftvisuals.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. I think if you type in rough draft, it'll pop up. I think it's like, you know, rough draft, like an underscore at the end or something like that, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, those are, those are the places you can find me. The main place you'll find my work and, and the stories that I write would, would be Instagram. Awesome. It, again, we'll have to bring you back. Uh, you know what, if you get your hands on the, uh, GFX 100 S, you know, <laughs> that be, uh, I'll share a little story there, but man, I, I I would love to dig into some of the uh, the the work that you've done, um, but we'll save that for uh, another time uh, later in the year. But Brandon, truly an honor to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure, and and I, I'm really looking forward to jumping back on and, and getting with you really soon, man. This is this has been great. Thank you very awesome. much.